Christmas, everyone. Welcome to Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Zudi. Thank you very much for joining us. In line with the longtime Colorado Inside Out tradition, tonight we're taking a look back at prominent stories and issues from 2015. And of course, we are in full regale to do such a thing. Patty Calhoun, uh, let's start with you. If you had to pick one word of that would describe 2015, what would it be? This year has been so amazing that I have to create a new word, and it's a combination of tense and grumpy. Yes, it's Trumpy. 2015 <laughs> is the Trumpiest year I've seen. <laughs> Dave Cole from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I have absolutely no idea how you uh, can follow that, but if anyone can, you can. It's all yours. You're one word. I've, I don't think I, I have to use two words, actually. Fundamentally transformed. President Obama, candidate Obama promised in 2008 to fundamentally transform the United States, and at this point, I think there's no doubt that he has. Eric Sonman, political analyst, uh, the floor is yours. Your one word to describe 2015. One, one word or phrase. We'll do that. We'll open it up a little bit. I sorted through many options. I finally came down on unhinged. I think whether it's our political system, uh, the budding presidential race that's now getting into full boil. The world situation, the debates we're having in this country, it strikes me as a rather unhinged uh, and problematic year. And right at the panel, Panfield Tate, uh, attorney with uh, QTAC Rock, and a long-term state lawmaker, your one word or phrase for 2015? Broken. Um, both the political conversation, the civic conversation, the lack of functionality between um, the federal government from the executive and the um, legislative branch, um, broken. The Aurora Theater trial uh, dominated the summer of 2015 and it rehashed the national discussion of the death penalty in addition to mental health issues. Although the perpetrator in this case, as well as the defendant in the Pharaoh's Bar trial, were both sentenced to life in prison. With the impending case of the shooter of the Colorado Springs Planned Parenthood facility, the discussion is sure to come back around. Patty, what do you feel uh, as you look back at both uh, the Aurora Theater trial, which was the biggest one, uh, your Pharaoh's trial, what are some of the things you took back from it? Well, the Ferris trial is the quicker one to deal with, which is I can't believe they really went with it. They tried to get the death penalty in Denver. We know in Denver juries just don't go for death penalties. Um, so in that case, they wasted some time on it. But when you talk about the wa real waste of time, the James Holmes tragedy, the poor victims and their friends who had their survivors who had to continue on and go through, wait years before the trial came, when there could have been a plea agreement where we would have seen James Holmes locked up for his entire life. That was just a shame because what we wound up with is James Holmes locked up for his entire life. But when I talked about grumpy and tense, these trials are going to bring us back to grumpy and tense again when we talk about Robert Deere. It brings up the issue of the death penalty. The state is still has mixed feelings on it. We've not had the discussion we wanted to have. We are going to talk about mental health again. We still have not solved how do you identify these people who are going to go out and shoot. And you know what? It's not going to be their passport. These are Americans in this country who have not been identified as someone who is going to go out and do something so heinous. And we're also going to be talking about guns again. So we are going to be Trumpy a lot on these issues next year. 
<laughs> I think that's a very uh, very good way to put it. Uh, David, it looks, I mean, I think with the Aurora Theater trial, there were some people split in the community of even wanting to go through it. Some people understood that uh, some of the victims did want to see uh, the trial take place. Some of them just wanted to see a plea deal and go, go through with it. At the end of the day, um, what do you think the, the effect of the trial has made for the community? I think it was constructive, and I think the District Attorney Brockler's decision to seek a capital sentence was based on careful consultation with the uh, large majority of the, the, the families of the victims, and, and certainly some of the surviving victims who were, were seriously wounded. Uh, the trial went very well. This was the opposite of the nadir of the American criminal justice system in our memories, the O.J. Simpson trial. Uh, the, the lawyers on both sides were very good and professional. The judge was very good, and the jurors who ended up making the final decisions were, were conscientious and thoughtful. It, they rejected the claim that Holmes was not guilty because of his mental illnesses. Uh, they rejected the claim that mitigating factors outweighed the many aggravating factors. And they exercised their choice uh, in, under Colorado law, by which a fairly small minority of the jury uh, can veto the death penalty. Part of the conversation we can have about the death penalty going forward is, do we want to allow, if you have 11 for execution and one against, you don't, the Constitution doesn't require unanimity on that phase of the case. We could change that, and maybe we should have a conversation about doing that. On mental health, as we're now, you know, continue to be concerned about that, but also about terrorism, I think it's important to, we sort of stop this idea that attacks on, mass attacks on strangers or semi-strangers are, are in these different categories of things. The overlap, there is an overlap between terrorism and mental health. People can have ideological motivations. James Holmes didn't, but others do, including the San Bernardino people. But the San Bernardino per perpetrator, his father is, according to the, the mother's divorce papers, bipolar and alcoholic. There was a guy in London not long ago who tried to s cut people's throats on the subway. And just two weeks before he attempted that, the family had tried to do something about his mental health problems. So people can be motivated by official ideologies, but many, not all, many of those who are the most likely to take that idea and turn it into a violent mass crime are people with mental health problems. So I think it it's, continues to be a good idea to see the different ways we can expand the mental health safety net both in Colorado and nationally. Eric, around this table throughout 2015, we talked about the mental health issue. We also talked about the conversation about death penalty. There needs to be a conversation. But I'm not really sure that there's a lot of political will among leaders to have that conversation. Even after the fact now, do you think there's anyone out there, political leader-wise, that wants to say, hey, we said early in 2015 we need this conversation. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's make an amendment to that we need a unanimous vote or, or any even facet of it. Is there political will to make it happen? I don't see any leaders who really want to have this conversation. I mean, I think there are probably some conservative leaders who want to score some political points for the lack of the death penalty in some of these cases, for uh, for Governor Hickenlooper's re reprieve of, of Dunlap, uh, et cetera. 
but even if the conversation is not happening at that kind of macro level, I think the conversation is happening at a lot of micro levels around the state. And I think a consensus, I don't know if a consensus is being reached that we're opposed to the death penalty, but I think there is a practical consensus that Colorado, in my mind, has probably executed its last person. We'll see if there's now a Republican governor and the people currently on death row, maybe, maybe one of them reaches the end of the rope, bad pun. Um, but uh, I think the death penalty as a practical application in Colorado is probably done and probably past tense. If you cannot secure it in those cases where we saw, whether it's the Farrell Bar killing, whether it's the Aurora shooting kill, the Aurora theater killing, you just don't know what circumstances you're going to secure it. And then, given that it takes 20 to 25 years to carry out sentence, what is the practical benefit of doing that as opposed to a life sentence without parole? Real quickly to the trial itself, I'm going to disagree with David on this. I, I mean, he's right in the sense of everyone involved conducted themselves very well. The attorneys did a fine job. The judge ran a tight ship, unlike, you know, the OJ trial or whatever. The jury did its job. But I'm much closer to Patty's point of view on this, which is for what? You ultimately had a resolution that was on the table a year or a year and a half before the whole trial began. And I understand the argument that the community had to go through this for some kind of catharsis. But I look at Tucson, where in the aftermath of the congressperson Gabby Gifford shooting, Jared Loeffner, who was a perpetrator there, they worked out a plea deal. He was equally as crazy as James Holmes was crazy. They worked out a plea deal. They saved themselves the trial. And are you telling me that Tucson was, uh, that somehow Aurora, by virtue of this trial, was able to heal more than Tucson? I just flat don't buy it. I'm not sure what the exercise ultimately proved. Then if we're going to see anything change along um, how Colorado currently has capital punishment, is that going to have to come from the citizens, or do you think it's possible to come from the legislature? <laughs> I don't think it's possible to come from either right now. I, I think what has happened between the Aurora Theater trial, the Pharaoh's Bar trial, and the situation in Colorado Springs, I, I, and I disagree with David, I think the trials were not constructive. I think they were just the opposite. They were destructive of sort of civic peace of mind. Because in every instance, in Aurora, guilty. Farrell's bar trial, guilty. The guy in Colorado Springs has already told the judge, I'm guilty. Uh, and there's this fascination with the death penalty as some sort of ultimate retribution. But as a practical matter, we can't get there as a society because we fundamentally don't have consensus and don't agree. And the question becomes, does it help the the the, the comprehensive psyche of the community to go through these trials when the bottom line in all three of the cases like this is guilty, guilty, and guilty. And if you know that, and it, it, it makes sense to put these people away because that's why we have prisons, because there are bad people in this world, and the bad people in this world need to go there. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about whether to kill them or not, uh, I don't know. We need to get them away from the rest of us in society. And, and, and because of the death penalty, I think, is what's created this weird coupling of the criminal justice system with the mental health system, which is why we don't make progress on either of them. Um, we talked about this once before. I don't know if the guy in Colorado Springs is mentally ill. 
I think he may just be a true believer. I don't agree with him, but he may logically think this is how I act out on my beliefs. And so sanity, insanity, competent to stand trial or not, I don't think is the real barometer there. He's guilty. He killed a bunch of people, put them away for life. If you then want to provide treatment while he's put away, maybe then you can determine if he really does have sort of some sort of mental illness. Same with Holmes, same with the folks in the Farrell Bar situation. Put them away, protect the rest of society, and then figure out on the back end what's the treatment that may or may not be necessary at that point. And finally, I'm not convinced that all these mass shootings are because people are nuts. I think they have, there are some people who have extreme belief systems that to you and I and to many of us we think are so extreme that they're not logical, they're not rational, but I think they connect dots in a different way and they get to a point that says, it's okay for me to do that. And we have a way to deal with those people, we need to put them away. Continuing to look back at 2015, debates over education reform dominated local and national headlines as citizens in Jefferson County initiated a contentious school board recall election. Conservative school board members Ken Witt, Julie Williams, and John Newkirk were ousted in a November recall, and conservative incumbents on the Douglas County School Board also lost re-election bids. Uh, David, this was uh, a big deal in November. We had school board elections throughout the state that saw changes just like this one. But Jeffco was certainly the highest profile, along with Douglas County here in Colorado. But Jeffco made national headlines. As we look back, what are your thoughts? The empire strikes back, <laughs> and quite successfully. The uh, unions, especially the National Education Association, you just they were outstanding at community organization. And when you think about you know, spending in these races and you focus, well, how much did people put into television ads and things like that in the October beforehand, that, that's a drop in the bucket to where the real important spending happened. After the pro-reform slate was elected in Jeffco and elsewhere in 2014, the unions moved in, we don't even know how many, maybe over 100, dozens at least, of organizers, and they did a great job. They did a gr among the things ways that they did a great job was they stayed below the radar, and they organized and they agitated, but they weren't out front. But they got local people activated to go out front and be the the face of the uh, movement of the anti-reform movement. To some degree, uh, certainly on on the Jeffco board and, and Julie Williams were the greatest own goal in uh, Colorado politics this year, at least, on that stupid complaint, you know, proposal she had about AP, about history, which never got adopted. But, and, and other places, it, people were, I think, less, some voters were objecting less to particular reforms than then they were saying, oh, you know, there's all this contention and things like that, and why can't, have, why can't school board politics be nicer and more sedate? And so they lashed out and voted against the incumbents, although, in fact, a lot of the agitation and controversy and uh, lack of civility was created by the outside agitators uh, from the national unions coming in and doing a great job. But they, they did a great job, and if you want to give the award for best, uh, most effective political work in Colorado in 2015, I think it unquestionably goes uh, to the D.C. headquarters of the National Education Association. 
Eric, until probably 2014, we were used to as a community of seeing school board races being very sleepy. You'd really have to be into politics to even know who was running. Uh, now, 2015 seemed to give them a really big boost. Do you think that will continue, that people will become much more familiar and aware of what's going on school boards? Yeah, I think the trend may have started a little before 2014, but certainly if you go back into the early part of the 2000s and, 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 and way before that, these were very sedate, quiet affairs. Community leaders would put their hand in the air and say, I'll take on this obligation, I'll take on this duty. And everyone said, thank you very much and, and, and went about their business. Just as the rest of our political system has become so polarized and uh, operates at full volume and full throttle all the time, that has now spilled over into the education realm. And the education wars have become very heated. And that Colorado is not unique in this regard. Jeffco was particularly hot, and Jeffco was a national epicenter of this. But Colorado is not unique. And you see these wars going on around the country. And there's a lot of nonsense spouted all around the notion that charter schools are somehow not public schools or whatever that some that that people spout uh, is a part of this. While the pendulum clearly swung this last November in Jeffco and Douglas County, up in Loveland and other places, there's one place where the pendulum did not swing, and that's right here in Denver, where what is now a 10-year or longer record, first under Superintendent Michael Bennett, now under Tom Bosberg, of a very reform, choice-oriented district, that has now been ratified in election after an election. And, and those forces enjoy a 7-0 majority now um, on, on, on that school board. I'm going to be curious to see whether that Denver model policy model, not political model, policy model, can at some point in time be exported to the Auroras and Jefferson counties and et cetera, a lot of the other inner ring suburbs around Denver. There used to be this notion that lousy, crappy schools and urban poverty were Denver phenomenon. Denver itself is gentrifying very quickly in front of our eyes, and a lot of these problematic school systems are now in those inner ring suburbs. That's where the action needs to be. That's where the focus needs to be. And I'm going to be curious over the next handful of years whether some of that model can be exported. Penn, what are your thoughts on what we saw with both the Jeffco race, Douglas County, and really just the whole idea around school boards this year? Uh, well, contrary to David's take on this, it was actually Return of the Jedi. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 and what, what occurred is I, I, I think for both Jeffco, Douglas, and Denver, there is a theme that folks aren't talking about yet, but it's becoming more prevalent. I think throughout this state, throughout this country, people are saying fundamentally, K-12 education in America is a complete do-over. That it has, the model we have has outlived its usefulness for the technology, technology-based society of today. We've got to do things radically different. And because of the political partisan bickering, and I think it is partisan bickering, although these elections are theoretically nonpartisan, people aren't focusing on the core issue, which is get kids better education so they can compete in an increasingly globalized economy and world. Jefferson County, I, I think what simply happened there, and we talked about it before, is sometimes how you treat people is more important than what you do. The personalities drove that entire recall election, not necessarily the value or the merits of some of the policy decisions they made. And so it didn't become a question of whether you agreed or disagreed in every instance with the policy. 
really the resounding chorus is, we don't like these folks. They're just, they treat us badly, they're rude to us, they're abrupt, we got to get rid of them. And oh, by the way, they made these decisions that we think are dumb. Douglas was a little different. And we've got to be careful about terminology because I think Douglas in Denver reflects that. Reform agenda is relative. If you think a certain way, the other person's point of view is going to be cast as reform. And if you disagree with them, your agenda is reform to the point where the word almost has no meaning in the context of some of these school elections. I think in Douglas County, for better or for worse, I think there the members behaved better. But I think the voters felt you're just going in a policy direction we don't want to go, and it may not be enough. Caution about Denver, and I appreciate what Eric said, but the thing to watch with Denver Public Schools is in many ways the disparate voices helped the Denver Public Schools because now you have a situation, you're right, Denver's gentrifying, but you see story after story about the resegregation of Denver Public Schools. That is going to have a ripple effect through conversations and elections moving forward. Although Denver has a 7-0 sort of groupthink board now, remember the president of the school board, Happy Haynes, didn't know until the next day whether she won against someone who no one ever heard of before, but she almost lost her reelection bid. So that tells you that the dissatisfaction with public schools, I think, is deep-seated, and it's far more complex than whether you get to tell yourself you're the reform candidate or the other person says it. Um, this is going to be interesting to watch because I think these school board elections are going to be more and more problematic as we move forward. Patty, 2015 was reading, writing, and recalls. Uh, your take? Well, it's not a surprise that school board elections are no longer sleepy little elections because parents feel empowered to get really involved in their kids' educations. These are not people who grew up in the 50s and believed the authority figures knew what they were doing. I mean, parents are peeved, and they are going to take a very active role. But if we are talking about, let's return to the Star Wars analogy, Julie Witt in Jeffco was Jar Jar Binks. Are you? I mean, this is not someone who was hypnotized by the National Education Association to act like an idiot. She did it all on her own. And her, her fellow board members were not much better, so they were like the people in the Star Wars bar. So that, that they were not popular, that people went against them because they wanted to be treated with even a modicum of respect, of course that's what happened. I mean, this was not so much about the policies. It was about how people were treated. And I'm glad that the kids in Jefferson County, let's hope they paid attention, got a real civics lesson this year. The Disney Star Wars marketing machine is so incredible <laughs> that they can even get it to the Colorado Inside Out table. Yeah. I am so impressed. It's, it is, it's a generational thing. It really right. is. Well, it is time for uh, our favorite part of the show, but this time it's for the entire year. So, uh, Penny, you'll start us off for Disgrace of 2015. I'm talking about a long-running disgrace, and I'm a little worried it might have been my disgrace of 2014. The Veterans hospital fiasco in Aurora. By now, it should have been opened. By now, it should be serving all those veterans who have been treated so badly. Their treatment has been horrible. Instead, the costs keep running up. We're looking at it maybe opening in January 2018. In the meantime, the veterans are not getting the service they need, and we are paying and paying and paying. It is an outrage, and I really hope it's not my outrage in 2016, too. Me too. David? The appeasement of Iran. They're now getting $100 billion of assets of theirs that had been frozen. 
everybody agrees they're the world's largest sta largest state sponsor of terrorism. Uh, by the size of their economy, it's the equivalent of like giving trillions of dollars to the United States government. And of course, they're cheating flagrantly on their existing international commitments, doing inter testing uh, ballistic missiles. The destructiveness of the Obama approach. The, the country, I think, in 2008, the majority said, well, the previous guys, his Middle Eastern policies overall didn't work out. And it's kind of amazing to see some guy who can make things an even more catastrophic uh, failure in the Middle East, including uh, a disastrous withdrawal from Iraq, which is partly responsible for the existence of ISIS today. Disgrace of the year. Eric, your choice. It's been a tough year, so there are many directions to go. I'm just going to go in a macro sense to our political system. We started the show talking about it. But our political system is dysfunctional on steroids these days. And the best indication I have of that, or I can present of that, is the two front-running candidates as we close this year for the presidential nomination. And to be clear, I'm not equating them. They are not the same person. They have their own issues. On the Republican side, Mr. Trump is a buffoon, is a demagogue, is an embarrassment, and anyone who is seriously considering him as the next president of the United States should really question perhaps their civic participation or their civic engagement. On the other side, Hillary Clinton, you don't question her, her bona fides or, or her credentials, but you certainly question her ethical values and her, the, the, the moral compass she brings to her career and to this race. And the fact that that is where the support is gravitating here at the end of uh, 2015, a long way to go from here to next November. But the fact that that's where we are right now, to me, is symptomatic of this political system. Penn. Uh, sort of related to Eric's point, uh, but I don't equate it with the candidates. I equate it with our society and, and us as Americans. We can do better than this. We are getting polarized to the point where we can't make decisions, and we don't talk about the things that unify us, sort of the founding principles of our country, how we can collectively come together and make a better community. It's become a winner-take-all process, and some of what we're seeing reflected in our choice of candidates is a direct function of what we are talking about in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and in our communities. We've got to be bigger and better than this, and we've got to find a way to redirect the political discourse so that local, state, and national government works with and for us, not in opposition. We've said a lot in 2015. We've said a lot on this show. So say something nice about the year, but very quickly. Joyce Meskus, who came up with a way to guarantee that the tattered cover, a great Colorado institution, continues after she retires. David. As they say at Hanukkah, a great miracle happened here. And to amplify what Penn said, a great miracle happened here in the United States with the founding and with our founding principles. And if we return to them, the country will make it. Here, here. Eric. The fact that in 1939, we were, as a country, very tough on refugees, but we let a few refugees in, including both of my parents. Uh, let's keep our heads about us in terms of refugee policy and not repeat the mistakes of the past. He'll be very proud of the sweater, by the way. Um, us, all is not lost, despite of what I said about the disgrace. Colorado Gives Day reflects the fact if we can come together as a community and give $28 million to nonprofits, we have an abundance of hope and opportunity. We just need to capitalize on it and take advantage of us. 
That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. On behalf of our entire station, thank you for your support this year. And be sure to tune in next week for our look ahead to 2016. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Merry Christmas, and thanks for watching. Good night. I'll have a blue Christmas